Falsha, 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 a Cardi Gale. Harry's getting on. What an absolutely mad time to be alive in the world today. I hope you are all well. This is episode 62 of the Rebel Matters podcast and the guest today is Maisa Daw, who is a member of the Palestinian hip-hop group DAM. They started in the late 1990s. Tamar and Suhal Nafar started it with their friend Mahmoud Jerry and then Mice has been singing with them and performing with them since uh, 2015. Dam have changed the Palestinian hip-hop scene like, forever because they rap about issues that other people weren't rapping about before they started, political issues and social issues and uh, dogmas and taboos and other things that weren't being rapped about in Palestinian hip-hop before that. The first time I actually came across them was a couple of years ago when I was over in Palestine and we watched a documentary called Slingshots Hip-Hop. And it was mad because I was sitting there looking at it and it was kind of like a documentary of the early days of the Palestinian hip-hop movement. And at that time, Kneecap had just started to take off and it was mad how many similarities there were between where the artists had come from and what the artists wanted to uh, rap about and also the sort of attitude of like just not giving a fuck about what anybody thinks about what they're doing as long as they felt that they were doing something right and it was true to themselves and it was sort of honest and also that it was kind of real and coming from the heart and that's something that we talked about on the podcast as well. So this episode has definitely got a bit of homework with it. I wanted to go and listen to the new Dam album, Ben Hanna Wamana, and also go and check out Mice's album, Between City Walls. They're both on Spotify. And I would also just recommend going and sticking Mice and Dam into Google and YouTube and learning a bit more about where, the, where they're after coming from and the kind of art that they make. And if you can track down that Slingshots Hip Hop uh, documentary, I would really highly recommend what recommend watching that as well. The chat with Misa was recorded in a cafe in Ramallah, and it's myself, Misa, and my bestie Alexis Sampson, who I was over in Palestine with, of course, getting actually Palestine set up in the Ada refugee camp with Sally, Potter, Vicky, and Kate as well. Because it was recorded in a cafe, there's a good bit of background noise going on with the music and you'll actually hear that one of Dam's tracks came on the speakers in the shop as well at one point during the podcast. But just stick it out uh, because it's worth listening to this episode all the way through to the end and the background noise does get a little bit less as we move through the episode. But see, just before we get stuck in to the chats with Misa, I just want to take a pause out of the podcast episode right now to send all of the love and solidarity to our brothers and sisters over in Palestine. They're going through all the same stuff that we're going through at the minute with the coronavirus and the shutdown and all the restrictions that have come with that. And on top of that are dealing with the ongoing Israeli occupation, which makes dealing with this kind of a pandemic a whole other thing because it has just so many other layers onto it. So I just want to send uh, all the gra over to the lads in Palestine and let us know that we're thinking about you and that uh, I'm 
personally, I'm looking forward to the day where the restrictions are lifted and going back over there to catch up with all the mates over there and get the Ackley Palestine project up to the next level. Um, so Keeper Lit Lets, we're with you and the No User with us as well. We're actually in regular contact with the crew in the Lazy Centre and the coaching team who are over in Ackley Palestine as well just every few days days just to check in to see how things are going there's not an awful lot that can be done in terms of training people in the gym itself but <clears throat> we're still pushing forward with uh, putting the structures in place just uh, and and like communicating with each other remotely and working with the coaches over there through Skype and stuff just to help them uh, get sort of like upskilled in the training systems that we're putting in place as part of their project over there so keep her lit lads as i mentioned in the last episode with lewis kenny which was episode 61 i'm doing my very best to get two episodes every week out the first one on tuesday and the second one on friday this one's coming out on friday so the next one's going to be on tuesday and i've got loads of good interviews lined up and a good few recorded already and i have some extra time of course now to be working on the podcast because of the fact that ackley is closed down for the foreseeable future and in the meantime i've got a patreon page set up for this podcast it's patreon.com forward slash rebel matters if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, then you'll get early access to the episodes and some exclusive content and get to contribute to the direction of the podcast as well, just through the chats and stuff that we're going to be having in the discussion room on Patreon. And you'll also be helping to support the ongoing production and creation of this podcast, which I am really excited to be actually getting stuck into in the coming weeks and months because of the fact that Ackley is closed down for the foreseeable future and this is kind of like the main project that, that I've decided to get stuck into while we're in this sort of like self-quarantine situation. So if you do want to become a patron of the show then go to patreon.com forward slash rebel matters and you can see what the crack is there. Of course the show is free on all platforms anyway and it's always going to be free. If you're not in a position to support the podcast through Patreon right now, then I would really appreciate it if you left the podcast a review on iTunes and shared it on your social media and just keep talking about it to your mates. Like the feedback for the podcast has been unreal in the last week or two ever since we've kind of relaunched it into this two-week format and since I've had more time to dedicate to making the shows and getting them all out there. So thank you so much for everyone who's been sharing the show on social media, everyone who's left a review and a massive, massive shout out to everyone who has already become a patron of the show. Right now, I can't tell you how much that support means to me personally and how much it's helping to keep the Rebel Matters on the road and how much it's helping me to uh, maintain my sanity while I am sort of self-quarantined here up at the house and not really going out that much until this thing passes by and hopefully we all come out the other side of it in one piece. And lads, one last thing before we do get stuck into the chat and this is the last thing that I promise because I know I've said that a couple of times so far. I've just been going out of the house once a day, really, just to go and get some essentials from the shop. And I think that that's kind of a ways way to play this out for everyone. But there was three nights in a row there when I went out. I was going over to the shops and then going into uh, Ackley to pick a couple of things up. The first night I was going out there, there was a fella who was sitting on the edge of the wall 
with his feet dangling over the wall by the river in the city here and sometimes I do that myself and I just sit there to chill out and sometimes maybe have a wee bottle of beer or something like that and just sit and chill for half an hour or an hour listen to a podcast or read a book for a while but there was something about the way that this fellow looked at me when I cycled past him that made me want to go and check up on him so I jumped off my bike and went over to have a chat with him and just as I was going over to him he went to stand up and lads he was so drunk he nearly fell into the river backwards and he was fortunate that he managed to get himself away from the very edge of the wall and then I helped him across the road and he went on his way. The second night I was going in there was another young man lying um, out cold on the footpath in the city centre so we had to call an ambulance for him as well and wait for the ambulance to come and he was okay in the end and then the third night three nights in a row there was another young man lying face down with blood pumping out of his head and he was lying uh, on the ground pretty much out cold and covered in blood and when I went over to um, see what how he was doing I actually thought he was dead when I went over to him first and gave him a bit of a shake and a bit of a shout and he started to come around again and when he came around he was so drunk he didn't even know that there was anything wrong with him and we obviously had to call an ambulance and he was okay in the end but I just think it's worth taking a second just to realise that during this time whenever our resources are being so stretched in just about every aspect from um the usual services that homeless people will get and the people who are vulnerable in society, the services that they are normally able to avail of are being stretched or and everything else is just being stretched to the limit. And of course, there's a lot of stress and anxiety and fear out there about how this is going to play out and about keeping ourselves and our families and our friends safe. But I just want to say that Right now is the time whenever we're going to have to look out for the people who are most vulnerable in society as well. And the people who are usually vulnerable are going to be in an even more vulnerable position now uh, as we're going through this, where there's less people out and about on the street to maybe help out with people who do find themselves uh, in a difficult situation, whether that be that they're sleeping rough or that they're um, having a rough time or that they're drunk or th- that they're, they're just intoxicated in one shape or form and I know that we're kind of limited in terms of what we can do with the social distancing that the distancing that's required from all of us to make sure that we can try and stem the passing on of the virus from one person to the next but um, just look out for each other as much as you can and help out whenever it's safe to do so and just make sure that uh, we're all looking out for one another until this passes and then also of course after it passes as well ready cards again let's get stuck into episode 62 here which is Misa, myself and alex Sampson in a cafe in ramallah and as usual at the very end of the episode after the outro music there is a bit of me reading Roald Dahl's book Boy Tales of Childhood so if you want a bit of a soothing bedtime story or to hear a wee piece of that book then just hang tight after the outro music and it'll come on by itself and if you want to go back to the very start of that book then you can go back to episode 51 which is the episode that I started reading that book okay let's get stuck into it
Cool. Okay, let's go for it. Okay, well, um, thanks, Megan, for confirming for, like, yeah, no stuff way. like that. Uh, thank you. No so, we actually listened to your album this morning and that before we left. Cool. The Dam's so, album? Uh, Dam's uh, album or my uh, album? album? My album. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, so it's between the. What's between called? City yeah, Walls. Between City Walls, yeah, yeah. It's tax. Uh, so, welcome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, I guess, like, the, the reason why. You, we were so interested in um, you know, like getting to meet you was to find out a little bit about the hip hop scene in Palestine mm-hmm. and even just like the just the music, music and art. scene and how it all kind of works here. Yeah, and, and maybe like a good point, good place to start. Maybe like, how did you get? How did you end up getting into it? Into music. Um, well, I actually kind of always knew that I wanted to do music. Um, like I, I always knew that I want to sing and that I want to perform and that I want to do shows. Like ever since I can remember myself. And I used to sing a lot when I was a kid. I used to just, you know, perform in front of like everybody all the time whenever possible. And then I started, you know, taking it more seriously. I started doing courses uh, when I was young as well. Blah blah blah. Started studying uh, vocal lessons. But I really got into the scene itself in, I would say, 2010, 2011. Uh, that I got to, into this like specific scene and started getting better. I then started performing with the uh, Ministry of Dabki. Do you know them? So Ministry of Dabki um, is two guys, uh, Wala Isbet and Bruno Cruz. Wala Isbet is also a part of 47 Soul, if, if you know them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started singing with them, I was performing with them. We released uh, two songs together. And I started getting more and more into that. Meanwhile, studying music and doing my own music, my own songs. And then I just got a call from them. Uh, they just released their album and they were looking for someone to be able to sing with them on stage. And that was it then, like just as a, like a guest performer. And we did that for one year, two years, three years, and then Tamar says, well, yeah, okay, but it's stupid to write, you know, Dam and Mesa, and we're working on some stuff together, so do you want to join the band? And I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and then, yeah, and so we did that. And uh, that's how it happened. Never really, like, I would say that all the big things that happened with me career-wise were never planned. It's just happened. Yeah, serendipity. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, By the way, can I curse or not? Oh, yeah. Really? yeah. Okay, cool. Free medium. Okay, cool. Cursing is like the least bad thing that has happened yeah. to podcasts. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's just worse. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> think like the one that I did with Nika, my brother, and, and the guy Nisha Nemo. So, um, um, I recorded it. So I live in Cork, but we're up from Belfast. Mm-hmm. So Belfast is in the north, and Cork is in the south. But when they come, anytime they come to Cork, like my house, it turns into like, like a crack den or something. There's just, like, so many people sleeping around. There's just like everyone it's is the cr- whole crew just, like, on partying. Up. <laughs> 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 and, um, like that's good fun. <laughs> never recorded a podcast where like. I was drunk or stumbled, I think, so I was like, the three of us were going to do a podcast, and we just spoke some leaves and did the podcast, and like, as I was saying, like, normally, I don't edit the podcast, yeah. but that one, yeah. it took us a bit more work, it took us, like, so we were like, this is, the podcast went like this, so, um, what was I going to say, uh, fuck, <laughs> <laughs> remember the time, <laughs> four hours long, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so you can say whatever you want. Good 
good to know. <laughs> um, sweet. Well, actually, so the reason that um, the, the, when I kind of started thinking about this was two years ago when I came here first and watched. We've seen Slingshot's hip hop. Mm, yeah, so, sure. Yeah, so I watched that. Was at the same time when we kept getting off the ground. And I was just sitting there watching. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this is. Ex- Nearly exactly the same as I know it's not exactly the same, but there were some similarities with where they came from and the like political and kind of environment that was going on around them. The even just I don't know, we just seen like similar kind of like attitudes towards towards music and art and stuff like that. There, so that's how we ended up kind of doing this. So um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, what do you want to know? So, uh, <laughs> Let's see. So, like, where, where are you based? In I'm based in Haifa. Yeah, is that where you were originally from? Yeah, I was born and raised in Haifa. I moved from there to Yafa for about six years. And then I just ran away from Yafa and went back straight yeah. to Haifa. Yeah. What's next? So we haven't been there? So and to Yafa or Haifa? Neither. Neither. Oh, you have to. You have to. I mean, Yafa is beautiful. I love Yafa. It's so beautiful, but it's the mo- like one of the most intense hardcore places to be in. It's 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 a hard place to be in because um, it's very um, um, it's very normalized. It's very it became very Israeli. You know, you go to the old village, the old city in Yafa, which is all like Palestinian old homes, and it's all like done into like um, you know boutique galleries and all of that kind of bullshit. It's not bullshit, but I say bullshit because I'm pissed about that specific place and, you know, the Israeli flags everywhere and it's just... uh, And it's... You know, Arabs there are more like a trend than... uh, It's becoming something very cool to, to... to know Arabs, so if you're there, you're like really? some sort of an attraction, uh, especially if you don't look Arab, because people don't think I look like an Arab, so for them it's like, oh, what the, the hell is this thing? Uh, but it was really hard for me, and it's very expensive there, and I couldn't find people, and you know, the Arabic culture was dying bit by bit, and I felt, you know, so suffocated in the place, and I just had to let's go back to Haifa and Haifa is very chill and I'm a very chill person I'm not a city person I'm not a, I, I just want to chill you know is Haifa and more like a small uh, Haifa, energy Haifa is bigger than Yafa a lot okay. bigger than Yafa uh, but uh, it's very chill and it's sort of like you have everything there mm. like you have the beach you have the mountains you can go to the mountains and see the beach you have the city you have the downtown where there's a lot of bars and dance bars and all of that and at the same time you can walk like two minutes and find the chillest place possible it has a lot of trees a lot of grass a lot of this and that Yafa is just like this tiny place where it's becoming more and more like Tel Aviv they're like connected it's the same municipality but there's like a small part that's still called Yafa which was once a lot bigger um, and there it's just you know noise and a lot of cars and a lot of rushing and a lot of running and a lot of and I just couldn't take it's it not for you. yeah you, you know for we've been talking about our trip here so far and it's been a pretty intense schedule like so today we were in Ramallah yesterday we were in Nablus we were in the latter refugee camp mm. the day before that we were 
was there the at the camp, yeah. setting up the gym, and every and then even to going to Jerusalem today, it's like every day is like a completely different. Yeah, it's very yeah. it's very different. Yeah. Every little place is different. Yeah. Like every yeah. neighborhood in the same city is different. Mm-hmm. Like in Haifa, also in Ramallah, you like you go to this neighborhood up here and it's something and then you go to Masyun and it's like a totally different same in Bethlehem uh, same, as well, feel same well. in Bethlehem same, same in everywhere tomorrow we're going to Hebron did you go there before? I've been there I've been there oh you've been there okay you've never been be mentally prepared I've heard yeah Yeah. I mean yesterday was quite a shock just going to Balad and you know hearing people's stories there and just witnessing the overcrowding and like I mean Obviously, like we witnessed overcrowding in Ada, but it's it just felt like a different. This no, is so Hebron many more is like people, some new then, level shit. And then again, everyone's warning us about Hebron and just being kind of prepared for what we're gonna, you know, experience there. But um, are you gonna go? Do you know a little bit around there and the, like Tel uh, Rimuda neighborhood and yeah, all of that? With, uh, you go in with someone. Going with someone, actually, a guy who brought us around the last time. Was Perfect. So, um, like, you know, for different reasons, but Hebron was like one of this the most intense place probably I think that I've been to where in Palestine Nick walked down Osirada Street and stuff like that mm. is mental but then even like for me like going to Jerusalem is also mental for different reasons because when you're in Bethlehem like you're in the middle like it's kind of like the occupation is around the outside mm-hmm. in a way whereas when you're in Jerusalem everything's kind of it's, like it's, it's connected it's, it's that, yeah. like, a more, like a more tense environment that can change like yeah, just for me it's like I just go into Jerusalem and I'm like, you know, yeah. just without talking to people, without doing anything, I just enter and it's like suddenly like something so heavy comes down on me, you know. Even it's just the, what, 15 minutes we just spent in it, even that you could feel that so intense, right? compared to Bethlehem or like other places, there's not that kind of like community happiness thing where people are like, you know, talking and smiling, it's a bit more kind of tense and like people aren't really, they're kind of a bit more head down in Jerusalem straightforward yeah mm. it's like because also that place that you went to it's like one of the most problematic places yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah 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 all of that it's like the, the old city the center where most the Arabs are there but a lot of times there's soldiers and there's like um, uh, you know Jewish uh, um, yeah Jewish settlers and religion. there's always something going on so people mentally when they go out they're like okay I have this thing to do let's yeah, do it yeah, and yeah. finish and, yeah. Yeah. don't deviate so I know I think in my head I when I just hear you talking about Haifa, I think, I think that's another like arm of what's happening around here that we haven't oh, experienced yet. Because it's like it just seems like a completely different world. It's a very different reality. It's like going to a totally different place. It's like it's just different. It's so it's so weird. Actually, this was for me personally, like mentally, a very big problem. Um, and it was something that I always felt not ashamed of, but like sort of like, you know, I I'm come from Haifa, you know, the city. I'm like a city girl. Privilege, I was kind of privileged. I'm like the most privileged that could be if you look at the big pictures here mm. of like Palestinians and how they do and what they do. And, and then I went into the group uh, that sings about, you know, uh, uh, poverty and the ghettos and lead and, uh, you know, all the gun violence and the police violence and all of that. And I went into that and I'm like, okay, what is this? I didn't even know about politics until I was, what, 13, 14? Like, I had no idea what is going on politically. Because you don't feel that 
in Haifa, you don't see soldiers. You don't like you might see soldiers, but it's not. There's no confrontation. There's nothing really intense going on, you know. And um, and for me, it was like coming here and then performing in Ramallah or talking about Palestine while I'm coming from Haifa. Like, who the fuck am I to talk about the West Bank when I come to Haifa from Haifa and never really like lived that kind of reality and it was a really good it was a really big barrier for me until a certain point you know I also like I'm Palestinian but I hold the Israeli ID because I was born inside of what is called you know the Israeli borders and so I have this ID and I would never before until like a few years ago I would never say to anybody that I have an Israeli ID I was so ashamed of that you know I was so ashamed of that until I Step by step, started saying like, okay, but you know, this is our reality, and it's so complex because the reality of people in in Jerusalem are very different from people to in Bethlehem and Ramallah, and it's super different than life in Haifa and people from Haifa, and it's so complex. Even the neighborhoods in Haifa, each neighborhood has a totally different story. You know, each neighborhood in Yaffa has a totally different story, and it's just like that. And it was, yeah, it was like a huge block for me until a certain point. So I started talking more about it. So what happens that, that you were able to get past it? Dam happened. Dam changed my life. Joining Dam definitely changed my life. Um, because, uh, well, Mahmoud and Tamer, uh, me, Mahmoud and Tamer are very different people. We're, like, very, we're very close, we're really good friends, but we're very different people. And for me, it was interesting because, especially working on the album, on our latest album, Ben Hana Wamana, um, every subject that we wanted to talk about, we dug really, really, really deep. And each subject, and we talk a lot about social issues, and each subject we talked about, you would dig in into the subject from three different point of views, three totally different points of view. The view of the of Maisa coming from Haifa, you know, the city girls, of Mahmoud, you know, and that he has his own mentality, and then Tamar that has his own mentality, and we would just dig in. And really that process changed my life on so many levels, on so many levels. But it started even before that. I can say that it started changing. It's funny, that's our song, actually. <laughs> So anyway, at the point that this thing started changing about, you know, talking about where I come from and that I hold the ID and not be ashamed of it was when um, uh, Junction 48 movie went out. You know it? It was released. You know from Junction 48. Uh, okay, so it was a movie that was written by Tamer, one of Dam's uh, founders. Um, and it talks about, it was actually the first ever movie made that really talks about Palestinians living inside of the Israeli borders and talking about, because whenever you would talk about the Palestinian struggle, you would talk about Gaza, you would talk about the West Bank, you would talk, which is like, you know, you would always put the wall inside, you would always put the soldiers and the, and which is very understandable, but at the same point, that left me personally in a place like, okay, if I want to talk about Palestine, you need to be in those places living that reality. And then suddenly, Junction 48 comes, and then suddenly I see on the screen that, okay, it's interesting, like, 
where we started being portrayed in a way and for me I didn't even realize I was not never thinking about it that I had this kind of block you know and then this movie went out and I started talking a lot about it with Tamer and you know Tamer and Mahmoud they've been performing and singing for like 20 years and they went through mostly everything that I'm going through now you know the questions that I'm asking the, all, the, all these things like how do I do this how do I do that and it was interesting because we would dig into deep conversations and that would just you know open my mind up for like yeah but why am I blocking why am I doing this why am I doing that and um, yeah I think like one of the main things that I realized is uh, when working on the album on Ben Hanomana was that I'm all these years I was treating myself as a victim and I just realized that and I said okay like this it changes here like I'm not because when we talk about usually when we go uh, mostly when we go to the West to Europe to the US to whatever um, we're usually ta- asked 80% of the questions when we have interviews we're asked about politics and we're not asked about um, music and the funny thing is like and like when I say asked about politics it's like seriously politics like what do you think about the Assad regime or what do you think about Bibi Netanyahu doing this and that and that's not what I do I don't even watch this thing I'm not I'm not I'm not there I'm, I hate politics I'm not it, I'm not political but my life is very political so if someone would ask me about a song I would start talking about politics because it was driven out of something political that happened and that would explain a lot of things um, and it was a struggle of why are we always just talked about politics are we just you know a geographical talent are we only being touring are we only touring the world because we're Palestinians and a huge part of it is yes of course definitely we've been touring a lot and a lot of that those times was because we're Palestinians and um, and then I realized that the main thing that is causing this is because I'm portraying myself as a victim it's because I'm not allowing myself to talk anything personal it's because that whenever I used to write a love song I would say, say oh what the fuck is this bullshit I can't write a love song you know like people are being killed so I have to write about that and I never found the balance I would just go out of myself instead of talking about my reality I would talk about whatever people are expecting to hear about Palestine about this about that and that was a huge breaking point for me uh, to realize that do you think that your career in a way changed after that point yeah yeah and I wouldn't say my career changed because we just released the album you know but I definitely would say at this point my writing changed my my attitude changed, changed like mentally it's just Yeah. you know and I'm still working through a lot of things you know but it's like mentally I'm like okay like I don't know how to exactly explain it but like oh. do you feel like as an artist you're more kind of defined now and like you're working within the parameters of what you actually want as opposed to like what you feel like you should be doing I don't know interesting question I don't know I have no idea I don't know because getting closer to that yeah getting you know closer to that when I think about what we were just talking about like, a little bit about NECAP before we started mm. recording and the way that they've gone from like like that gig you went to in Like a, a couple of years ago, like, yeah. like 150 people at it. Now it was like, like seeing Rage Against the Machine, but then like we were just in a dirty club, there, like, it was amazing. Yeah, I was like in tears. Something is happening, like you could feel it, like, like it was just
anytime I think about like why that that's happening, like why it's still going on, the the only thing the only thing that comes back to is the fact that like what they're doing is like completely real. Mm-hmm. They're not like trying to do something. They're not trying to be that's it, man. Someone else. Mm-hmm. They're not like pretending. Like they're like from they're not from, just imitating they're not stuff they've seen on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that people think that it's cool. It's, it's actually just that it's really real. Exactly. Yeah. It's so real. That was the first thing that hit me about them. Was just it was so real. It was like you could just tell they were they were just telling you their life. But they weren't no, like no oh, I've seen this. You know, like I think that's probably how people in the scene act or like you know that's how the lads grew up in you know America or whatever. You know, it was like. 100% no bullshit and it's it's so punk as well though, like kneecap there's such a punk ethic to it where it's just like they're doing it their own way you know it's like the crew around them is like all their mates and like there's no one like you know there's no bullshit with them at all yeah, it's like, great there's no, there's no filter and I guess that's no what whatsoever. anything in life like if you see something that where someone is just like being, re- being real then it connects strikes mm-hmm. a goal that people yeah. connect with yeah. it and like I think when I think about the people who like the followers they have now like it's a lot of people who directly relate to them and a lot of people who would kind of like to be kind of like able to relate more it's amazing because it feels like they kind of like just turned a key and opened a door in Ireland that was just like had a load of people banging on the other side of it and just they didn't have the key do you know because all the like I don't want to like slander Irish rappers because there are some really good ones but it just felt like up until that point it was like an imitation game you know it was like mm. how can we be like the American scene or the English scene or something like that yeah. you know and it wasn't but, uh, like this is us yeah it's like this is it's really hard it it's Obviously, very it's extremely hard, hard to do something because when you enter that you don't it's so hard to distinguish between what is really you and what is not really you and you know for me because it was like I started singing before I knew anything about politics I knew I wanted to sing and for me it's so weird that I started as plainly a singer you know musician no ideologies nothing no politics no this and I reached a point where I couldn't talk about anything other than politics and social issues I just I disconnected and it's very, and for me it wasn't like it didn't feel that I was trying to talk about something that I am not it felt that no of course I need to talk about these things and it's really hard because you know all your life we're like all our life we're told be yourself right but we're still we're put in the classroom with the same people just yeah. the same uniform told you cannot go to the bathroom without raising your hand you cannot eat until we tell you that this is the time that you can eat you cannot draw this because this is not acceptable you cannot put your head like this you have to and then at the same time they would tell you be yourself be yourself be yourself and then you realize at some point like what the fuck it is and what what does it mean be yourself like we're told be yourself all the time but no one tells you how to be that instead they try to put you in the same box as everybody else and then you go into that and you see the people around you talking about these things they're like yeah I'm interested in that that's what I am that's who I am and then years pass and you realize oh that's really not who I am but I have no idea because I don't know how to do it and especially when you're a musician or an artist of any sort and you want to get your word out being yourself is not always what comes to mind you know because a lot of times you'll be thinking of okay this is what people expect to be hearing and not of a place because I just want to be heard but of a place that I really believe that this is the only thing 
that I need to talk about because this is what we should be talking about as Palestinians because I'm a Palestinian and that's all I am, period, you know? And then you realize that, okay, but I'm, I'm not a Palestinian, period. I am a Palestinian, but I'm a human, I'm a woman, I'm a singer, I'm a musician, I'm Palestinian. And then you realize that, okay, but I can talk a lot of, about a lot of other things and I still talk about politics a lot and I still talk about social issues and I still, but then I realize that, okay, I have a personality that I can talk about as well, that I can express. And then, yeah, it's, it's not easy to, to know how to be real. Mm-hmm. It's really not easy. Yeah, Especially absolutely. when you're put under a spotlight and people expect something out of you. And also, when you look at like what is successful in music, it's always one thing that seems to be people being real and then like, a huge follow-on of people trying to jump on that bandwagon and like, recreate it or like, you know, like, become that because they yeah. see, like, oh, that's so cool. Or, like, and then, you know, that's also really hard to escape as well. And, and a lot of people that you would think that they're being real a lot of that like yeah. nobody knows what is happening behind the true, scenes true. Yeah. Yeah. nobody you would just say hey yeah this rapper or this singer or this whatever and she just came out of nowhere and she's so cool and she's so real but I can be you know writing whatever and then going backstage and I'm feeling exactly the opposite I'm living exactly the opposite of what I'm singing about and nobody would even know that mm. and that's really interesting as well because a lot of people would just see the surface and think okay that's it yeah. but they wouldn't see what is behind it at the same time like this might be like a little bit like idealistic in my head but the things that you were talking about being in school and having to be in like a box on one hand and on the other hand they're telling you like be yourself on the other hand mm-hmm. you're in a box like, no. it's like every time you get like put in a box it's like another layer in front of yourself mm-hmm. you know like so you, you your, yourself is inside somewhere and every time you could put in a box there's another layer in front of it but then I think, like for me anyway, like music and art and stuff. When you hear, when you hear something or see something that's really real, it kind of like blows away the layers for other people. You know what I mean? Mm. And, um, like say, if you, if you could direct, I mean, you're like for thinking. It about gets it. you closer to that, maybe. You know, like you can yeah. kind of see things that you are interested in that is like more true to you. You know. Yeah. And then you can kind of start to find the trail, but it's also it is exactly it's really hard to like define what that is. But mm. it's real. It's different for everyone. Like for example, it's, if you think it's about totally like, for like. The Beatles, for example, like when they started making music, there's teenagers like, holy shit, this is like our voice, we never had a voice before. Yeah. And then it kind of like allowed people to kind of break out of the mold in a way. Mm. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, yeah, but it would help people. You mean it would help people to like get rid of their layers? Yes, and, like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 definitely. That's what I mean. Definitely. Because so, for me as well, like listening to other artists and you know helps a lot because you see something that you never thought that this is what you really think, and then someone mm. just like, oh, like yeah. can I ask a question? Um, yeah. What were your musical influences growing up because I hear like a lot of different types of music in your music (laughs) (laughs) obviously the the big Arabic influence no not really no it's like a lot of with the damn stuff the sound is you know the kind of like just from a musical point of view like you can hear the you know the the scales or like the kind of tonalities of Arabic music well dams I have to say dams to me (laughs) dams album is something I never thought that I would do Mm. like I never thought that I can rap until we did this album you know I've never rapped before this is the first time and I never knew that I can rap and um, and the music is very different than what I would usually do but mm-hmm. I think my influences 
keep changing all the time. And then when I was growing up, you know, my parents would listen to a lot of classical Arabic music, but for me that wasn't cool. And my two were four sisters, and at that time my little sister was still not born. I had two older sisters, and they were listening to like American and British pop and rock and all of that. I was like, yeah, that's cool. I would listen to that. So I grew up listening a lot to like Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls and Linkin Park and all of these things. Gradually going to Nickelback and Hinder and all of these like you know alternative soft rock kind of thing, and only then I started discovering Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. Amy Winehouse was like for me, oh my god, I'm so in love with her. Amy Winehouse was a huge influence for me. Um, first of all, because I love the way she sings, I love her techniques in singing, and I love how real she is. Mm, like, she's a badass. Wow. Such crazy like the sentences that she would say in her music it's like what how how can you be so real you know there's a sentence in her song that she was sleeping with another guy but she came because she was thinking of her boyfriend it's like how do you put that even into a song like I was thinking of you when I came and how do you I was like ah oh, I needed that so much that realness you know I really needed that and um And then Erica Badu, of course, mm -hmm. Lauren Hill. And, you know, it just keeps changing. And with time, when I joined them, I started listening more to hip-hop. So now I listen a lot to a lot of hip-hop. And, um, and now one of my main influences is Hayatus Coyote. Do you oh, know them? Oh, I love those guys. My God, they're, yeah, they're everything. Do you know them? Oh, yeah, my God. Australian kind of, what would you say, like kind of new, like new soul New soul, jazz new jazz. Kind of that's what they, yeah, that's how they A friend of mine used to actually go out with the drummer. Oh, my band. God. He really, really married him. Well, they're phenomenal. Wow, <laughs> phenomenal they're crazy. Their amazing. album, Choose Your Weapon, is like a um, masterpiece. Napalm. Mm. <laughs> I love her. Wow. She's so good. She's so. Oh, her singing is like. Melts my She's got heart. Style for days as well. Wow. They're so good. They're so good. I love them. Um, would I be correct in saying you have a little bit of a reggae influence as well? Because I heard some tracks that had the kind of one-drop vibe. That's Ministry of Dubkey. Ah, okay. So right, right. When I started singing and doing music, I just threw myself out to everything. Like, yeah, sure, you want me to sing reggae? I'll sing reggae. <laughs> and then I started singing with Ministry of Dubkey, which is like dub and reggae and like mm. uh, world music influence. But yeah, a lot of Arabic influences into that. And then I was singing with Tut Art for a bit. And then I didn't record anything with them. I was, I was singing life for a bit and that was also like kind of reggish world music type of thing and then Dam happened and I'm like yeah sure I don't listen to hip hop I mean I grew up <laughs> listening to Dam Dam is like I was like in fifth grade and I'm like knowing all the lyrics with my hat on and like taking pictures like this you know in the most rap poses and ever and that's the only rap that <laughs> I used gang to signs. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the only hip hop that I would listen to growing up and then you know Dam came hey do you want to Do you want to have? I actually remember one time, and I was really young, and there was a place in Haifa called the Back Door, and they used to have a lot of uh, a lot of shows there. And that specific time, like the rap scene was so blooming, and a lot of people were doing rap, and a lot of this and a lot of that. And I was in love with them, and I went there, and I'm watching them on stage, and I'm thinking, and I knew that I wanted to be a musician. 
I was thinking, will I ever be good enough for them to talk to me and tell me, let's do a song together? You were watching we're, them? Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking about that. Right. I, was, I was in the crowd, in the middle of the crowd, and they're singing, and I'm like, goosebumps everywhere. And I'm like, fuck, I want to sing with them one day. I want to sing with them one day. Will I do that? Will I do that? And now, bam, I'm in yeah, the dream fucking album. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then Dan came to me, and they're like, yeah, you want me to rap? Sure, I'll rap. Let's do it. <laughs> When did you join them? Uh, I started singing with them in 2012, but only in live shows. I was not a part of the band. And then in 2015 or 16, I think 16, we uh, released uh, our first single together, which is called Who You Are, Min Inta. And that was like the point that, okay, we're announcing I'm a part of the band, and that's what, when it happened. Did, did you release Between City Walls in 2017? Yes. So, like, did they kind of overlap with each other? Like, I was always doing more than one thing at a time, uh, and I was studying then as well. I studied the music for three years, and Between City Walls was actually my um, graduation project. Um, so I had, like, the that, last year it was something that I was working on. Was that in High Fezzo? Uh, that was in Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv. Okay, yeah. Nice. But, um, I'd be really interested to like, hear a little bit about you know, the process of making that album. Like, of the album? Oh my god. Um, okay. <laughs> Um, it was actually really... I'm going to start with the name, Between City Walls. Um, when I moved to Yaffa and started studying in Tel Aviv, it was like a huge culture shock for me. Uh, because I come from Haifa, as we said, which is like a really chill place. And, you know, people would say that Haifa is like the place of coexistence. It's bullshit. Coexistence only coexists in hummus and falafel. But other than that... Like, you wouldn't really see, like, you wouldn't really... Like, there's the Arabic neighborhoods, and there's the Jewish neighborhoods, and we don't mix, and it's okay. And if you find someone, you would talk, but there's no real relationships. And then I moved to Yaffa, started um, start studying in Tel Aviv, and I was the only Arabic person in the, in the school that I was studying in. And between, like, maybe 300, 400 people, I was, like, the only Arabic person there. And I started making a lot of friends, and it's the first time that I really go into, like, I know a lot of Israeli people and met a lot of Israeli people, but this is the first time that I'm actually so much into, you know, the gang and all of that. And then it was just, Tel Aviv is so, like, uh, rushy and noisy and blah, I hate that place. But anyway, um, and for me it was, like, a lot of things, like, you know, I was studying and a year passed and I had all of my friends in school and we studied together and we go out, we have drinks, all of this, all of that. And then at the same time, and then at some point, I think it was my second year that um, uh, I got a war in Gaza broke out. And, and I don't know if you know about the military and like every person, every Israeli person is... Um, he has to do or she has to do the military uh, for three years but then until they're like 40 I think or 45 if there is anything that is happening a war, uh, something I don't know, they would call every person that was in the army and bring them back for like two weeks with no, you know they can call you and they tell you okay tomorrow you have to be in the army for two weeks and it's like it doesn't matter if you have work, if you have shows if you have travels, if you have, you have to go to the army and then I was 
you know, second year, and I had a lot of amazing friends in school, all Israelis, and then the war in Gaza broke out, and I was uh, Skyping with my friend from Gaza, MC Gaza, if you know him, Brahim. Yeah. Yeah. And we were Skyping together, and he was putting, he put his laptop on the window, and the electricity keeps cutting off, and then suddenly he would say, oh, here, 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 and then suddenly would see like a boom, like huge flames, and all the screen goes like this, and I'm awake until like 5 a.m., you know, like, shit, like, will he make it? What will happen? What is happening? And then I go the next day to school, and like, more than half of the classroom is empty because all of my friends are in the military because they have to go to the military. And I'm like Skyping at the same time. It, it's, it was such a mindfuck for me. Yeah. And all of these experience of being there and realizing that and being the only Palestinian there and feeling like an attraction there between every, all the people and because like it's so easy and everybody says we're leftists but Nobody's like nobody has any idea what is going on, and for a lot of people, being leftist is like, yeah, I have Arab friends, I'm leftist, and you know, the Arab friends that they would have is because, yeah, sure, it's cool to have Arab friends, so I have Arab friends. It was like I felt so out of place all of that time when I was there, and that's where all the songs came out of, and that's why it's called Between City Walls because I felt so stuck in this place and so out of order, out of place, out of. And that's where the songs came from. Well, two of the songs I wrote before I started uh, studying, which is Ta'al and Bikafi'ab, but all of the rest is like that. What was the process for making the album? The process of yeah. making the album, it was, uh, well, it was my graduation uh, project, <coughs> and it's actually a collaboration between three students. So uh, you have like the songwriter, um, um, how do you, like you like can... A composer? No, you, you have like, each person studies different things. I was majoring in like songwriting and all of that. A friend of mine was majoring in production and all of that, and another friend was majoring in sound, and uh, we would just split into groups, and every three people from different uh, that would do the project together so this album was actually my final project and two other people's final project so, which okay. studied with me there's like the, some of the titles on the <coughs> on Spotify the titles are in English some yeah of them, but like the, of the, the singings of Zin Arabic it's so in Arabic. is there like is it um I don't know, just listening to you talk, I'm trying to figure out like where the art and the politics where they cross over and where they divide and like listening to the album is obviously hard to say what the songs are about. Mm-hmm. So is there like a what's I don't know, when I listen to an album it's like going to the movies. Um when you can understand the lyrics it's different because you can have a picture in your head mm-hmm. and like it brings you on a journey. What's mm-hmm. the journey of that album? What's the journey of yeah. that album? Is it like what's the message of it like? Is there is there a way to I wouldn't know how to tell you, yeah. actually, because I was so confused when I was writing the album. I was really confused, and you can feel that mainly in a song called Majnoon, crazy. And um, I was just so confused. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I feel. I didn't know what I think. I didn't know what I stand for. I didn't know, because everything was new for me. Everything was new, and everything was so confusing. And. The journey of that was just this, you know, I I cannot tell you that uh, this album, like I can definitely tell you, Dam's album changed my life, definitely. My album, it helped me go through and realize a lot of the confusions and where it's coming from, but it was like, I need to let it out, I'm letting it out, I'm letting it out and okay, 
I finished the album and I was still very confused but it was like you know I'm just I was able to talk a little bit so it was like an outlet for how you were feeling about your life at the yeah, time or yeah. a reflection as opposed to yeah, and if you listen, story yes and if you listen to the songs each song is different mm. one song is like with acoustics yeah, yeah. and you know cajon and one song is like more electronic and, mm. and it's pretty much I was like that's all kind of over. That's you the question because yeah. we were listening to it this morning. It was like that, and it's and when you're talking about it, you ever like have lots of stuff in your head and you just get like a notebook and you're just like, yeah, and you just and let you it out, and no logic. So good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. therapy. Yeah, like Majnoon specifically, Majnoon. If you read the lyrics, if you if I don't tell you what, like a lot of people are were asking me like, were you in drugs when you wrote that song? <laughs> and I was like, no, but I was living in Tel Aviv and confused as fuck. So this is what. I wrote, you know, like it's similar to doing drugs, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a it's a very confused album for me. I love it because I love the feeling and because I know like how much I went through since that album. And the album was actually finished in 2015, um, and it took me two years to be able to release that um, because I had to do everything alone, no management, no booking, no blah 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 blah. So I did everything alone with the raising uh, money for it for like you know the printing and the mastering and all of that and it took me two years after I finished it but definitely the feeling of like unsureness that you have when you listen to the album I get, I imagine that people a little bit feel that because you know that our songs are so different that's pretty much how I was feeling that's interesting like to pick that up even though like I said yeah, yeah. 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 no lyrical context <laughs> yeah. at all yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you there was um, oh yeah so, so this is a kind of I guess like a kind of big question I don't know even if it's possible to um, discuss it in, in this way but before we came here I was just watching some documentaries about the like, music scene in, in Palestine and um, I guess it kind of went to some of the kind of Israeli cities as well and um, you know the thing that you talked about the art and politics and like, how they cross over sometimes I mean so with the big picture what do you think the scene is like is there is art is art being used in a way that like to try and um, legitimize what's happening in Palestine by the Israelis as well? Some some respects. Oh, yeah. Like when I was listening to some of the you mean Israeli propaganda tune. Yeah, definitely. So how and then you know like I'm trying to think back to um, for example in Belfast in mm. the sixties and the seventies there was a war going on the communities were like separated there was people were dying all the time and my dad would have been like really into music at the time and the punks and stuff they got kind of came together and were like not to say that they didn't have political ideas in their head but it kind of like it was kind of, a, it was kind of like a middle point where they had a common ground but then when I was re- reading up and watching documentaries about hip hop in Palestine and Israel I was like how can Palestinian hip hop artists come together with the Israeli ones when the politics become so ingrained in music yeah I know what you well, first of all um, a lot of things like most of the things that we write about, like most of the Palestinian artists, even though the songs could be very personal, um, a lot of times they come out of a political place without, maybe it's not even noticeable in the songs. 
but for me like uh, Ta'al uh, one of the first songs that I wrote uh, is a love song it's a true story I was in love with this dude from Bethlehem and I was living still in Haifa and you know you had the separation wall and for me it was not a sad song it's just you know let's get together and just fly to Mars you know let's let's just dream because I heard if you dream and you believe in your dream then it might come true so let's just dream let's go to Mars we'll take the guitar in water and so it's like a very dreamy song but it's very political because the reason that I wrote this song is I was so tired of you know he can't come visit me I have to come go visit him he can't cross the border he can't come to Haifa he can't go anywhere so you know it was this and most songs that come from Palestinians and Israeli they're very politically driven very much and a lot of people which are like really um, uh, rightist people you would find a lot of like very racist uh, music as well but then the thing is that we have endless um, messages that from Israeli people Israeli musicians asking us to do songs together but the main problem is when they're asking a Palestinian musician to perform with them or do a song with them it doesn't matter who the person is it's because it's Palestinian and the song would always be about hey I really want to do a song about peace let's just sing about yeah. peace forget everything else and I'm like motherfucker you're living in Tel Aviv in like the highest building and like the most mm. beautiful life you don't give a fuck about going to Lebanon or to this or to that you have no idea what is going on in Gaza you have no idea what is going on in the West Bank you want to sing with me sure let's do a song together but I'm going to talk about these things and fuck your peace let's talk about this and then we talk about peace because peace is not possible when you just want to ignore everything mm. and it's that and it's rating and it's getting views and it's getting that because again being friends with Palestinians and doing a song with the Palestinians wow it's yeah, like the coolest crazy. thing yeah. ever it's so authentic and it's so authentic to talk about peace because you know the Palestinian living inside of Israel that do music with it they're more like the Israelis they would say like they're more like us you know they can talk about peace it's like that's why it doesn't happen you know because not once I received a message from an Israeli uh, musician telling me let's talk about truth you know it's always like no let's just forget about it we're not political people right and and it's true you know because I wouldn't mind sitting with an Israeli person we would sit for hours we would talk we would this we would that we, but just please don't talk to me about peace when you like because it's so you Like participating yeah. in the occupation where they're like it's not like participating like... but you can't ignore everything mm. that Palestinians are going through and tell me you want to talk about peace you don't want to talk about peace you want to sell your music because mm. peace is a trend right now and be doing music with Palestinians is a trend even though they don't realize it because like people would be like no really we want to talk about peace I'm like okay you want to talk about peace you want to do something about peace let's do something about together come with me to a demonstration we go to the West Bank let's go see Ramallah and let's go through Kalandia and then tell me you want to talk about peace mm. let's do it then after that you know and that's mainly why I don't participate in any of these things like I, I just I'm not gonna be a trend of some sort you know it's the know. thing I have in my head when you're saying that is that that quote like that neutrality in cases of injustice is like the same as taking the side of the mm. like, yeah one thing actually that I was thinking of when you were saying that is um something that we've kind of talked about a little bit because where we're staying at the minute well, we're spending a lot of time in the Ida refugee camp and we're staying just outside it, beside the checkpoints we walk along the wall 
and like every day there's people jumping off the buses yeah. to come and see the wall and they stop at the wall and like I, I kind of I kinda have mixed message, mixed feelings about the people that ride on the wall yeah. because some people jump off the bus take a picture ride up and like peace and love free for other stuff <laughs> of course of course and then like Put it all over Instagram and yeah, look, man, I'm you know, doing I, something. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I, I don't mind that because I don't expect people to be so involved in the Palestinian struggle if they're not Palestinian or if they're not Israeli. Mm. Like, I can't. I'm gonna talk about me personally, okay? I know about what is going on in Syria. I know what is going on in other places in the world, but I'm not so engaged in it. So I wouldn't expect anybody else to be so engaged. And I would understand, you know, writing peace and free Palestine on the wall and then leaving. You know what? Okay. But just don't try to 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 ignore everything and release a picture of everything is good because every, not everything is everything is really not good. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? This is what you want to do and you want to post about it. Sure. Like it doesn't mean a thing and do whatever you want. But don't come and take me to your picture of how you imagine it, of how you want it to be, ignoring whatever I went through and all the Palestinians went through, because you want to talk about peace, but you don't want to talk about what is going on, it's because talking about what is going on is not. Yeah. We don't want that, we just want it's the happy picture. And that's my problem, when you want to put, come and put your fucking white privileged point of view on my life and then take it to whatever you want and do the picture that you want because really they would choose like any Palestinian person it wouldn't matter as long as they're Palestinian you know what you were saying about the song about being in love with someone from Bethlehem like I remember it's funny like how I ended up coming over here in the first place a couple years ago was because we, all, we always had a very strong sense of solidarity with what's happening in Palestine, in Ireland and in Belfast in particular. I remember like, I was about 14 or 15 looking out of my bedroom window and there's a wall in Belfast also just thinking, fuck, like, that's like teenage, teenage, no boy, me, like, like, fuck, like half the girls in this city are like, over there, <laughs> I'm never going to be able to see them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked. It's so crazy. This world is such a crazy, surreal place, you know. Yeah, it's it's hard to come into. Like I was saying to Anne on the bus earlier, you know, it's like I was like, do you ever experience like cognitive dissonance here? Because like I feel confused. I can't like. Wrap my head, or like my head feels like it's gonna break sometimes. Here, you know, oh, I'm like, yeah. I just can't. <laughs> I can't. It literally feels like my brain is like gonna move. Like one hemisphere is gonna move forward, and the other just like try and find a new pathway to try and understand what the fuck is going on. Because it's just so far removed from my reality. You know? mm. And like we talked a lot about this on this trip about like feeling guilty or feeling like overprivileged and like you know like just witnessing the fact that people don't have even the freedom of movement in their own country, you know, and it's like you have this kind of like white man guilt almost just coming in and being like, am I being too much of a tourist? And like, am I just like at the zoo? Like kind of, uh, you know, ja, 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 you know, but then we kind of uh, have so arrived at the that conclusion. You have even these thoughts because but we also have arrived at the conclusion that like, um, it, it makes no sense to dwell in the guilt of being that, you know, 
in relation to what is happening here because that doubles down on the negativity of it all and like what we do have is the privilege to be able to like tell these stories and like expose it do you know, to the rest of the world who aren't listening or like who aren't. But that's exactly this. To like trying to understand it or don't even want to understand it because they're like, let them do it themselves. You know, let them just sort it out between themselves, mm-hmm. which isn't ever going to really happen, probably. You know. So yeah, it's it's a but bit it's of a dark economy, it's but it's, it's, it's you have to be like aware big, of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so amazing that there are people that are aware of that. Mm. You know, because like a lot of people would just come. Like there's countless European people and like whatever yeah. that coming here you know with their like tourist things and all these kids running around barefoot in the refugee camp this looks so sweet let's just film that and put that now you know this just putting out you know that I came here I'm the, the savior I'm the white savior that's mm. coming here to solve all the problems and do this and do that and most of these people do not have that thought that you have because most people would still turn whatever is happening in Palestine to them. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that came here to help. I'm the Aren't savior. That that's, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be the one that's going to film these things and put it out to the rest of the world in my point of view, not talking about the feelings of mm. the people, not talking about... But for me, if people... Do, I really rather people not come here and not film at all if this is the attitude that they're taking and this is the picture that they want to put because you know you feel that I feel that whenever one of these people come and talk to me about this thing because it wouldn't like be eh, talking it would you would always feel that they feel a little bit of like uh, they 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 feel bad for you so they would come to you and like hi how you doing and I'm like talk like to a, me normally and yeah don't yeah, yeah. talk to me in pity yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know talk to me regularly halos let's just you know get rid of that and it's amazing for me to 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 see people that are actually aware of that because i'm so sick of it you know and yeah. everybody's so sick of it and you would ask like a lot of people uh, a lot of palestinian people uh, like what do you think about these white movies that is going on in palestine and i would tell you 90% of the people would say don't come here don't film you know unless you want to be it's not help it's really yeah. not helping it's just making it a trend it's, it's the same like, thing as going in Africa you know, you know exactly like, going yeah, in yeah. Africa it's such a hip thing to go yeah. to Africa and volunteer there and take a selfie with the black kids and post it on Instagram because I'm this and I'm that and, and it's so tiring and people don't realize that this is not helping this is such a selfish thing to do that's like the context of our trip here was always to like I think maybe started from wherever I was in school when people were coming to Belfast to visit <laughs> and it was never a case of there are things that are for like the school that we went to the cultural centre the theatre uh, the restaurant all those things that started in the 80s and the 90s that are there today because the people like we started them ourselves and mm-hmm. my parents generation and the generation before that started things for themselves yeah and we're never looking for like help not like they weren't like come help us so we're, we're so bad everything's bad here it was never out of desperation it was, it was right? never like that kind of nobody ever wanted charity mm. but at the same time when we were in school and there was people from Palestine or there was people from South Africa or the Basque country and um, were coming into our classrooms they there we were talking about this last night that when I became older the importance of that for me was that they they came 
just to be there and so to, he- to hear what was going on mm-hmm. and to like, say like we're stand with you guys and then go off and I like, tell other people about it. It wasn't mm-hmm. like oh look at the poor little kids on the falls road and like they're so bad, they're so such a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like that because and I think that that's the value kind of in a way. Well, when you've got like it's an oppressive force telling you you're not valid, and then yeah. like have those people come in and validate, yeah, like, your re- parents re- always validate. tell you you're good. Yeah, yeah. They're always like, "But the kids, you guys are so good." Blah blah blah. But when someone comes from the outside, and just like it's just an extra little thing that you just like shit. It's reinforcement. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of times, like the thing is, like a lot of times, and most of the people come for this one time, and you know, do this post and do this thing, and look at us like, oh, look at the poor people. We're gonna post about it, and then, خلاص disappear. They did it once. They did this thing, and yeah, it's 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 only about the attitude that people come with. If they're coming to learn, or if they're coming with the, you know, the savior point of view of like. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna help these poor people. Like, no, don't come help us. Please don't come help us. Like, don't come. You wanna come learn? Ahlaw sahla. You know, Arab hospitality would open the big table, drink as much as you want, eat as much as you want, but don't come save us. Come learn. And then, yeah, sure, yeah, listen. come listen. Yeah. Sure. You're more than welcome. And. We talk about this a lot, actually, in Dam's album, about oh. this thing. <laughs> what was just my next question? <laughs> <laughs> we talk a lot about this in Dam's album. We talk about self-love, about doing this thing, breaking the, in, the, the egg from the inside and blooming and not someone from the outside coming to break an egg from the outside and kill whatever life there is inside. Mm. Like, if you want to... That's a good analogy. That's, if you want to do it and if you want if you want to fix it so let's break the egg from the inside mm. let's get life and the whole attitude of the album um, the whole attitude of the, of the way that we used to write or that Dam used to write music until today it's, it changed a lot because the attitude of the album Ben Hanomana is not of like we're so angry we're so sad and we don't know what to do no like the attitude is like okay we are in darkness now but it's not a dark, dark darkness of a tomb, it's a darkness of a womb and we're going to be reborn after this and that's the whole attitude of the album, let's do it forget about the rest of the world, there's song like Prozac, just saying I don't want your Prozac, I don't want your analogies, go deal with your depression alone, let us be depressed we're going to deal with it alone, we don't want any western intervention into our life and trying to fix it and then there's songs like Milliardat where we're actually talking about you know Arab leadership and how fucked is that and how billions of dollars are put to separate us but then Dam released like was that in 2001 I guess I think Dam released the song Mean It Happy and it was like you know way before YouTube way before all of that and in a very short time it was downloaded more than like 2 million times or something like that and people still know it until today and it's 20 years later and people still ask for that songs in the shows and so that's the song is like billions of dollars are spent from leadership to break us apart but then Mean It Happy cost us nothing literally nothing but people sing it in uh, Syria in Lebanon in Palestine in Haifa in Ramallah in all of these places so let's focus on that too. how to love yourself how to treat yourself how to know who you are how to know how to be alone how to know how to love your community and, and all of that and how to know how to there's a, a saying in Arabic I don't know if it, it exists in any uh, language but don't put your dirty laundry out do you yeah. use that? Yeah. Don't, so in this song specifically we're like 
take all the laundry out, just put it, clean it, clean your house. Let's do like a huge spring clean. Let's clean everything. Let's make it shiny and yalla. But we do it. We do it. We do it without the On your own terms. And that's the whole, you know, um, point of view or like attitude of the album of like, we're sick of it and we're gonna do it alone, you know. Let's love ourselves, let's respect ourselves and let's do it. One thing I wanted to ask you about um, was what's it like um, being a female artist in Palestine? It's really interesting. Um, I never realized that there's a difference between uh, being a female musician and a male musician until we released um, in Inta dance songs because the messages that I would receive are very different than the messages that the guys received. Good and bad, we had a lot of amazing feedbacks in, but it's the, the ones that I received is very different. And then, then I started, you know, um, uh, understanding more what it is to be a female musician, and I can say that I'm so grateful that I'm a woman Palestinian musician because it puts you I feel I don't know it's it's really funny because it's really hard being a Palestinian woman but at the same time I feel so privileged that I'm a Palestinian woman and a Palestinian musician because it put me I feel that it puts me into a place that I can understand what it means to be oppressed also politically and also because I'm a woman and also because of this and I know how it feels to be portrayed as it doesn't matter who you are just come and be the Palestinian singer I was invited to the United States once for a show and when I got there I was like the headline of the show and when I got there I realized that people that invited me had no idea who I am no idea whatsoever they did not know my album they did not know that I have an album out they did not know anything it was like a Palestinian sort of thing and I'm a Palestinian musician and I'm the only probably one of the few Palestinian musicians that can travel and hey we have a woman Palestinian musician let's put her in the line in the, in the line and that's I, and that was like something that was very hard for me for a long time because it's you know there's a song in Dam's album it's called uh, it's, I'm real enough to admit that I'm not always real enough and we talk about these things a lot and one of the uh, one of the lines that I said that I say is um, am I a geographical talent because whenever there's a war going on in Gaza I go on to a European tour even though I'm not from Gaza but whenever there is a war in Syria I'm put on the shelf and someone from Syria is taking to do the European tour and it's like that a lot of times and I think being a woman musician and and feeling that and living that not only hearing about it living that and knowing how different it is you know from the simplest thing from the simplest feedbacks from people that love our music but you would see that they would tell Tamir or Mahmoud you are amazing you are kings and they would then they would come to me and go you're so cute dude <laughs> you know these small things because like even the, like the respect that people get from like the respect that people have for women and for men is very different obviously and I think I'm very privileged to do that because at the same time it stops me from doing a lot of things and at the same time you know what my image sells I'm a Palestinian woman and I sing and I go on stage and I dance on stage you want to take that? Yalla, put me on your line check. You don't have to know who I am, but I'm going to come 
to the stage and I'm gonna talk and I'm I'm gonna talk about everything and I'm gonna tell you know what fuck it yalla take me and I'm in a I'm in a band actually I'm three I'm I have three bands right now which is Dam my own solo project and another band it's called Kalimi we're pretty new and Kalimi is a collaboration between Palestinian female artists and Swiss Swiss female we're actually two Palestinian one Swiss and one Dominican Republic four women on stage and um we still we've been working for a year uh we still don't have anything put out we have only like a two minutes uh, promo video with like snippets of three songs in the video we already toured Canada we toured Palestine we had like four or five times in Switzerland uh, we have uh, uh, Paris in uh, in May we have uh, we might have Korea in June we're like traveling the world and nobody knows our music but you know what we're four women two Palestinian one Dominican and one Swiss half Swiss half Palestinian and that sells come on you I tell you we're like four women one Dominican and one Swiss and two Palestinians <laughs> wouldn't you want to come and listen to that <laughs> so you know what my image sells yalla let's do it come and we're gonna fucking yeah. take over you with the magic of our music for yalla just you know it's just switching between oh, I don't want to be that image and I don't want to be only put under that too you know what yeah, yeah. do whatever you want I'm gonna come and crush it you know in Palestine <laughs> like that thing with men and women is like I guess it's in most countries in the world but is it diff- is more extreme in Palestine with the being a woman or a being like say a female artist in a country where like it's not to say that like Ireland isn't like not an equal country mm-hmm. no either it seems to be like but more opposite in the from your experience of they performing in say other countries in Europe compared to pa- Palestine how it's received is it I think um If I understand your question correctly, I think that the way it's shown is different, but the core is the same. Because here I might not they might not allow me to go on stage and we once had a show stopped we went the moment I stepped on stage. Because I'm, I'm a woman and there were two other men on the stage. Which is interesting because we were in this show in this village and before me there were two other guys, Arab guys and a woman from Spain singing with them and nobody said anything. And then they uh, went off stage and I got on stage with the two other guys but I'm Palestinian and I cannot be on stage with two other guys. So no, they stopped the show. And that doesn't happen, that rarely happens, it really rarely happens. But um, the thing is here maybe when I'm in Ramallah like I can not wear whatever I want or whatever this kind of bullshit and the respect is different but whenever I'm in the West I'm overly sexualized I'm overly put under this image of you know what I'm always men is like no like the main problem is also that um, a lot of men uh, that would call themselves uh, feminists or would call themselves whatever they want to call themselves or you know see themselves as liberal and free and non-sexist and a lot of these people would say no but don't put your hijab like you need to be free and I'm like putting hijab does not mean you're not free you know and wearing shorts does not mean you're free and free means doing whatever the fuck you want without you come and tell me like no don't wear the hijab you should be free so strip off your clothes like no I'm I want to be in a hijab you know and that's something that is always you know the attitude is different but the core is the same there's always difference in the way people treat men and then the way they treat women And you feel that everywhere, in different aspects, but it's there. And I wouldn't say that there's a place that is more extreme than the other. Just the, the, the Just tactics different. used mm. is different. Mm. Yeah. That was the question, actually.
Alright. So um, what are you doing next? Like with music and stuff? With music. I'm currently going back to writing my own songs. Finally, I haven't written a song in more than three years. Uh, because of all the reasons that I was talking and being so confused and don't know how to portray and how to do this and how to do that. So now um, I'm working on my own stuff to hopefully release some stuff in the few upcoming months and just keep on doing what I do. I never really plan. I just do it and I don't have really a clear plan, but let's see. The most amazing things happen without planning. <laughs> so I'm flowing, but definitely going to be making more music all the time. chapter of uh, Roald Dahl's book Boy Tales of Childhood is called Getting Dressed for the Big School and if you want to go back to the very beginning of the book then go back to episode 51 of the podcast and you'll find the first chapter at the end of that episode. Anyway here we go. Getting Dressed for the Big School. When I was 12 my mother said to me I've entered you for Marlborough and Repton. Which would you like to go to? Both were famous public schools, but that was all I knew about them. Repton, I said. I'll go to Repton. It was an easier word to say than Marlborough. Very well, my mother said. You shall go to Repton. We were living in Kent then, in a place called Bexley. Repton was up in the Midlands, near Derby, and some 140 miles away to the, to the north. That was of no consequence. There was plenty of trains. Nobody was taken to school by car in those days. We were put on the train. I was exactly 13 in September 1929 when the time came for me to go to Repton. On the day of my departure, I had first of all to get dressed for the part. I had been to London with my mother the week before to buy the school clothes and I remember how shocked I was when I saw the outfit I was expected to wear. I can't gossip possibly go about in those, I cried. Nobody wears things like that. Are you sure you haven't made a mistake? My mother said to the shop assistant. If he's going to Repton, madam, he must wear these clothes, the assistant said firmly. And now this amazing fancy dress was all laid out on my bed, waiting to be put on. Put it on, my mother said. Hurry up, or you'll miss the train. I'll look like a complete idiot, I said. My mother went out of the room and left me, left me to it. With immense reluctance, I began to dress myself. First, there was a white shirt with a detachable white collar. The collar was unlike any other collar I'd seen. It was as stiff as a piece of perspex. At the front, the stiff points of the collar were bent over to make a pair of wings. 
and the whole thing was so tall that the points of the wings, as I discovered later, rubbed against the underneath of my chin. It was known as a butterfly collar. To attach the butterfly collar to the shirt, you needed a black stud and a front, a back stud and a front stud. I'd never been through this rigmarole before. I must do this properly, I told myself. So first, I put the back stud in the back of the collar band of the shirt. Then I tried to attach the back of the collar to the back stud, but the collar was so stiff I couldn't get the stud through the slit. I decided to soften, soften it with spit. I put the edge of the collar into my mouth and sucked the starch away. It worked. The stud went through the slit and the back of the collar was now attached to the back of the shirt. I inserted the front stud into one side of the front of the shirt and slipped the shirt over my head. With the help of a mirror, I now sat upon pushing the top of the front stud through the first (laughs) of the two slits in the front of the collar. It wouldn't go. The slit was so small and stiff and starchy that nothing would go through it. I took the shirt off and put both the front slits of the collar into my mouth and chewed them until they were soft. The starch didn't taste of anything. I put the shirt back on and at last I was able to get the, f- the, frost, the front stud through the collar slits. Around the collar but underneath the butterfly wings I tied a black tie using an ordinary tie knot. Then came the trousers and the braces. The trousers were black with thin pinstripe grey lines running down them. I buttoned the braces onto the trousers, six buttons in all. Then I put on the trousers and adjusted the braces to the correct length by sliding two brass clips up and down. I put on a brand new pair of black shoes and laced them up. Now for the waistcoat. This was also black and it had 12 buttons down the front and two little waistcoat pockets on either side, one above the other. I put it on and did up the buttons, starting at the top and working down. I was glad I didn't have to chew each of those buttonholes to get the buttons through them. All this was bad enough for a boy who'd never been who'd never worn anything more elaborate than a pair of shorts and a blazer, but the jacket put the lid on it. It wasn't actually a jacket, it was a sort of a coat tail, a tail coat. And it was without a doubt the most ridiculous garment I'd ever seen. Like the waistcoat, it was jet black and made of heavy serge like material. In the front it was cut away so that the two sides only met at one point, about halfway down the waistcoat. Here there was a single button and this had to be done up. From the button downwards, the lines of the coat separated and curved away behind the legs of the wearer and came together again at the backs of the knees, forming a pair of tails. The tails were separated by a slit, and when you walked about, they flapped against your legs. I put the thing on and did up the front button. Feeling like an undertaker's apprentice in a funeral parlour, I crept downstairs. My sisters shrieked with laughter when I appeared. He can't go out in those, they cried. He'll be arrested by the police. Put your hat on, my mother said, handing me a stiff, wide-brimmed straw hat with a blue and black band around it. I put it on and did my best to look dignified. The sisters fell all over the room laughing. My mother got me out of the house before I lost my nerve completely, and together we walked through the village to Bexley Station. My mother was going to accompany me to London and see me on to the Derby train, but she'd been told that on no account should she travel further than that. I had only a small suitcase to carry. My trunk had been sent on ahead labelled luggage in advance. Nobody's taking the slightest notice of you, my mother said as we walked through Bexley High Street. And curiously enough, nobody was. I've learned one thing about England, my mother went on. It's a country where men love to wear uniforms and eccentric clothes. 200 years ago, their clothes were even more eccentric than they are today. 
You can consider yourself lucky you didn't have to wear a wig on your head and ruffles on your sleeves. I still feel an ass, I said. Everyone who looks at you, my mother said, knows that you're going away to public school. All English public schools have their own different crazy uniforms. People will be thinking how lucky you are to be going to one of those famous places. We took the train from Bexley to Charing Cross and then went by taxi to Euston Station. At Euston, I was put on the train for Derby with lots of other boys who all wore the same ridiculous clothes as me and away I went. Bozers At Repton, prefects were never called prefects. They were called bozers and they had the power of life and death over us junior boys. They could summon us down in our pyjamas at night time and thrash us for leaving just one football sock on the floor of the changing room when it should have been hung up on a peg. A bozer could thrash us for a hundred and one other piddling little misdemeanours, for burning his toast at tea time, for failing to dust his study properly, for failing to get his study fire burning in spite of spending half your pocket money on fire letters, for being late at roll call, for taking in evening prep, for forgetting to change into house shoes at six o'clock. The list was endless. Four with the dressing gown on, or three with it off, the bozers would say to you in the changing room late at night. Others in the dormitory had told you what to answer to this question. Four with it on, you, you mumbled, trembling. This bozer was famous for the speed of his strokes. Most of them paused between each stroke to prolong the operation. But Williamson, the great footballer, cricketer and athlete, always delivered his strokes in a series of swift back and forth movements without any pause between them at all. Four strokes, four strokes would rain down upon your bottom so fast it was all over in four seconds. A ritual took place in the dormitory after each beating. The victim was required to stand in the middle of the room and lower his pyjama trousers so that the damage could be inspected. Half a dozen experts would crowd around you and express their opinions in highly professional language. What a super job. He's got every single one in the same place. Crikey. No one could, te- no one could tell you had more than one, except for the mess. Boy, that Williamson's got a terrific eye. Of course he had a terrific eye. Why do you think he's cr- a cricket teamer? There's no wet blood though. If you had to just if you had had just one more, he'd have got some blood out. Through a dressing gown too, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Most bozers couldn't get a result like that without a dressing gown. You must have tremendously thin skin. Even Williamson couldn't have done that to ordinary skin. Did he use the long one or the short one? Hang on, don't pull them up yet. I've got to say this again. And I would stand there, slightly bemused by this cool clinical approach. Once, I was still standing in the middle of the dormitory with my pyjama trousers around my knees when Williamson came through the door. What on earth do you think you're doing, he said, knowing very well exactly what I was doing. Nothing, I summered, nothing at all. Pull those pyjamas up and get into bed immediately, he ordered. But I noticed that as he turned away to go out of the door... He craned his head over so slightly to one side to catch a glimpse of my bare bottom and his own handiwork. I was certain I detected a little glimmer of pride around the edges of his mouth before he closed the door behind him.